Welcome to Two Cents Podcast, hosted by Joseph Skiff and Sam Bonello. They're here to help you achieve financial peace, no matter who you are or what's your background. With practical tips and insights on how to manage your money, Joseph and Sam believe that even a little bit of knowledge can go a long way. So join them on Two Cents Podcast and learn how to do a lot with just a little. Welcome to the Two Cents Podcast, where you learn how to do a lot with just a little knowledge. I'm your host, Joseph Skaff, and I have here with me my co-host, Sam Bonello. How are you, Sam? Good. Good to be back. Investing versus gambling, part two. We gave the definitions, why investing, what is investing, what is gambling. We we spoke about um, speculating as well. And now we're going to go into true investing. What is good investing? What is right investing? And how do we actually can get started? So with, with investing, there's lots of terminology. There's lots of jargon that goes with this. And we'll do our best to explain those terms as they come up and as we go through them. But... Um, one of the things that you need to be aware of as a um, intentional, conscious, educated investor is what is it costing you to invest? Um, and this is something that the speculating types and the gambling type personalities that want to play in the stock market often overlook. So here's some questions to ask someone at a barbecue or the taxi driver who's bragging that they made a hundred percent on a stock that they bought. I've and met a taxi driver like that. Yeah. He actually was an Uber driver. Yeah. But yeah. What, what was the company that he said he made? Do you remember? <sighs> he didn't want to tell me. Okay. okay. <laughs> but so he told me that in this day trade thing, he was making crazy amount of money. Yeah. And look, full disclosure, there are some day traders that pull it off. I'm not saying it's impossible. I'm just saying it's highly improbable that you can replicate that. Okay, and you can lose a lot of money. You can lose a lot of money or you can think that you've made a lot of money and this is the point that I'm going to make here. But then at the end of the day, once you've gone through everything with your accountant and they say, okay, here's the total cost of your brokerage because it's not free to trade. It can be cheap. It can be down to if you're getting started, your initial trades can be free for the first, say, 10 trades. And then after that, it's $10 per trade. Um, but if you're buying and selling multiple shares per day, you might easily end up with over $100 in brokerage costs for the day. So you've got to be investing big amounts of money and making a decent amount to offset that. And then so that's your transaction costs. And then people might buy the company that the taxi driver tells them about. They hold it for two weeks and it goes up a hundred, sometimes crazy returns like 150%. And the $10,000 that they put into that company has now become $25,000 for them. And they sell it three, four weeks later thinking that they've made $15,000 off of their $10,000. But when they get to see their tax man in July and he says, oh, that's really cool. You made $15,000 off of that investment. 
but because you didn't hold that asset for more than 12 months, we have to add that whole $15,000 to your taxable income, which is, let's say it's a $100,000 income, which means we've got to take 37% because that's the marginal tax rate for someone earning over $100,000. We've got to take 37% off of that $15,000 that you made. Plus, we've got to take your brokerage costs out of that. Um, the real rate of return is not these eye-watering figures. I made 150%. Now, I would not say no to that return. You know, as the, but the reality is still going to end up. It's with a money. very low chance that you're going to see. You know, 100 150. It is. And it's I'm very using, improbable. I'm using an extreme example yeah. there. But those things do happen. They have happened many times for people. But the question to ask someone who's saying, oh, I'm making money through day trading, how long are you holding that for? How much tax are you going to have to pay on that? What are your transaction costs? Because people that are making, to be more realistic, away from that, you know, 150% example, which can happen with some of these penny stock mines or, you know, high growth tech companies, they're making 4% today and 5% tomorrow. And well, those gains are really easily eroded by tax and by transaction yes. costs. Yes. And so- And the thing is psychologically as well, this is, uh, I don't know the name of it, I think they call it like the new soldier syndrome. Mm. And when a soldier goes to war, nobody ever thinks that they are going to die mm -hmm. and, until they die. Um, so psychologically, when we hear that someone next to us made a, an outraging, outrageous amount of money by trading whatever, Bitcoin, some kind of stock, we think, man, that could have been me. And not knowing anything else the person goes we go we lose money we have a bad experience and when as you said we throw out the baby with the bath water so just because there are these stories beware they're extremely rare they are very very rare so and difficult to replicate very difficult so. to replicate like my my father used to say that he had an uncle in in lebanon and that uncle used to smoke every day and apparently that blessed uncle lived to 110 years old. Now, I do not know what is true about that story. But one thing I do know, if this story was actually true, it does not mean that if you smoke every day like crazy, you're going to live to that. That can be just the one in a million yeah. <laughs> example. So that applies as well for financial successes. So beware of, of these quick gain and another question to, to ask someone who is that active in the market um, or in investing and trading and um, is how much time do you dedicate to this? Oh, yeah. Because some of the people that are consistently successful in these things, it is a full-time job. And especially if they're doing foreign exchange, they're up at all hours of the night because different markets are opening at different times. So... Don't invest in a way or in things that you don't understand. And so if someone is telling you something that is amazing and you think, man, I had a hard day at work today. I wish I could have made that kind of money just sitting at my computer. Well, ask the person, how, how many hours do you sit at your computer to make this possible? And 
what have you studied? What do you read? How much do you read each day about the markets and the yes. things that you're investing in? It's not good question. It's not uh, good it's not question. Like walking up to a, a table and rolling a dice each yeah. day. It's if it if people are doing it successfully on a repeatable basis. There's a lot of time that's going into it. By the way, that Uber driver that I mentioned to you, he I asked him these questions. He told me that he would spend at least five to six hours a day studying and looking into that. And he has a PhD in mathematics. Does he have a wife and kids? No. No. <laughs> so this is the thing, you know, while it may be good for someone, it may not be a fit yes. for your lifestyle and your priorities. Yes. And I think to the psychology thing, there's also something addictive about day trading. You know, when you have wins, you want more wins. And when you have losses, you're inclined to chase those losses. And it's very difficult to overcome some of those bad uh, psychological influences when you're doing investing the wrong way. And so what's the, the, the a good philosophy to have? What, what's your philosophy of investing, Sam? Philosophy of investing would be to buy um, companies that you understand Or, like I said before in the previous episode, find someone that you can work with who can help you to buy companies that you understand the value of those companies, the future of those companies, what will help them grow into the future, and invest amounts that you um, are comfortable with that you can in some ways afford to lose You know, this is surplus money that you plan to not spend until far into the future. Okay. So, yeah, don't That's invest actually in quite interesting. Yeah. And because the two, two things here, just one, if you're a neophyte, in other words, if you're new to the world of investments, what is a share? A share is basically you're buying yourself a little piece, a little piece of paper that tells you that you are now owner at a very, very small percentage of a company. So buying a share is becoming a partner of a business that entitles you to receive dividends, which is the distribution of profits. So to give one practical example, if Coca-Cola is worth a billion dollars, they can make these a billion dollars into a billion shares, and each one of these shares is worth one dollar, so to speak. And you buy 10 of them, That means that you're owner of a tenth of a billion of Coca-Cola kind of thing. Uh, so that's what a share is. And, and the other thing that Sam said is something that is so important. Uh, we could probably even dedicate an entire podcast to that. But a principle is for things that are risky, things that you can actually lose, never invest the amount of money that you cannot afford to lose. That's principle was actually quite interestingly followed by a man called um, Nicholas Taleb. He was one of the few guys who predicted and who actually served the 2007 global financial crisis. He wrote a book called The Black Swan. And he said, basically, The Black Swan is a reference to extremely unlikely events. And of course, if you're an Australian, You probably do not know what I'm talking about because there's lots of black swans here in Australia. But until people discovered 
until the Europeans discovered Australia, they believed that there was just no such, not such a thing as a, as a white swan. So they just, they expected that every swan would be white. Then they come and hey, there's a black swan. So black swan in, in a financial market terms is an extremely unlikely event that people think that it's impossible to happen. But when it happens, it's catastrophic. And one of the ways that you can protect yourself about these kinds of unlikely events is, Okay, if you're going to invest into something that has the potential to evaporate, it's not, I'm not talking about a house. A house can, uh, but I'm talking about the assets that are riskier than a tangible asset such as a house, like a, sh like shares or, or other assets. Um, you know, even bitcoins. You know, when, when my friends ask me, Joseph, should I invest in bitcoins? I said to him, look, I'm personally, I'm not a fan. However, if you choose to do so, Make sure that the amount of money that you're investing is an amount of money that you can afford to lose in case the whole thing becomes zero at some point. So uh, this is a very, very important principle of investing, which is diversification, uh, meaning you're not putting all of your eggs in the same basket. You're not putting all of your money, all of your retirement savings in just one asset or one class of assets. And the reason why we have seen in the great world financial crisis in 1928, uh, in the 40s, and even 2007, you know, we have seen horrific pictures of people throwing themselves out of high-rise buildings because they thought that the product of their entire life of work, all of their savings, now we're gone. Now they are just a fraction of it. Now they became 30% of what they were. And in a moment of desperation, they take their lives. So this is very tragic because, well, many times if they waited a little bit longer, perhaps they would be able to see the return of the value of their shares. That's one thing if they had that patient. But number two, if they knew that, look, this amount that I'm investing here, I can actually afford to lose, then they they wouldn't be in desperation mode. Actually, my conversation with that uh, taxi driver, I asked him, hey, can you afford to lose all that money? And he said, yeah, look, Joseph, I can. I know this is pretty risky, but if I lose everything that I've made, I'm fine. Mm -hmm. I'm young, I can work, not really worried about it. So, so okay, look, you, it seems like you... you kind of know what you're doing. Yeah. Yeah. No, the, the things that will form your philosophy around investing, um, I think you put them into a few baskets. First is education. How much do you know? Mm -hmm. Okay. And that would determine, do you invest D DIY, do it yourself, or do you invest alongside of a professional? Um, how much risk are you comfortable to take? And the one measure of risk is probably better reclassified as an understanding of your education about investments because mm. if you're uneducated about an investment or you don't understand it, it can be perceived to be more risky than it is, which is the case, I think, for a lot of people with the share market yes. as a whole. Okay, And so educate yourself. Um, that will help form your philosophy. Understand how much risk you can take. Um, things that will help you clarify that is what time frame do you have for investing? Um, if you have just 10 years before you retire uh, and you want to withdraw a big part of your retirement savings to pay off the remainder of your house debt, 
Well, that's different level of risk that you can tolerate than someone who's 30 and can't access their retirement savings till they're 65. Yeah, they've got 35 years to let the market do its thing. Um, so that will influence your um, appetite for risk, as will your amount of income. You know, don't invest more than you can afford to lose. Well, that might be $5,000 for someone. They can't afford to lose that because that is a big chunk of what they're going to put towards their house deposit. Yes. But someone who's making two and $300,000 a year, well, they can afford to lose that $5,000 mm. on a single stock. So once you understand your and explore your level of your appetite for risk and your level of knowledge that can help you overcome some of the fears in the market and what happens when the market goes, you know, this week it went down by 8%, Joseph, in the week. Um, and that's wow. very unnerving. You know, yes. I've got clients that have a million dollars invested. Well, 8% means that they've lost $80,000 off of the balance that they look at in their account. <laughs> wow. And they're calling me up and they're saying, we're really nervous. What do we do here? Wow, yes. And um, what I do in that situation is go back and say, okay, the reason we invested in those things is because we have a time frame that is appropriate. And for us to change our strategy now would be to deny the fact that over – any 10-year period, these sorts of investments have historically given a, you know, 8 to 10% per annum return. And when people reflect on, okay, that was our strategy, that was our philosophy, that's the reason why we did what they did, they say, okay, we'll leave it alone. Because to make changes is to be busy for the sake of being busy. Um, so coming back to your investment philosophy is a lot of times what helps you get through those difficult periods, which will come. And some of the strategies that you put it's in like play. a turbulence in an airplane. Yeah. Right. It's I've hit turbulence. Open the door. Let me get out. <laughs> would be foolish. You yeah. say I've hit turbulence, but these planes fly every day. Millions of people around the world. They take off. They land. Everything goes fine. So the turbulence that I'm experiencing right now. I can handle that because I know the statistics about flight. I know that a little enough about the engineering of a plane and I've done this before. So I've got a history bank of, yeah. Hey, this is going to be okay. That's actually a really good illustration for investing is mm -hmm. if you are foolish enough to get on a, a, a metal cylinder and go 30,000 feet above the earth, <laughs> someone from, you know, Fred Flintstone's era that used to pedal their car with their, their, their feet out the floor would look at that and say, you're insane. I would never do that. That's foolish. But we have an education about aviation. We've got an experienced bank of people that we know that have done this successfully. We've done it a few times successfully. And we know a little bit about the engineering to know that turbulence is not the wings falling off. It's just a part of the journey and we don't open the door and jump out. And so... One, there are strategies, though, that once you understand, hey, this is not risk-free, but I'm only taking an appropriate amount of risk for me and for my life circumstances and my goals and my timeframes, you can mitigate or manage that risk by things like diversifying, which you mentioned before, which is to say an example of, of not diversifying is somebody who bought Blockbuster shares um, right before Netflix started their business. 
And Blockbuster was one of the darlings of the investment. Did you have market. Blockbuster here in Australia? Yeah, Blockbuster was here, and there's yeah. still a few around, believe <laughs> it or not, with DVDs. Um, and obviously, that company's value, like Kodak did with film, you know, old-fashioned film that was expensive to develop. Both of those companies were market leaders, and their value just evaporated because of a new technology, digital photography, and streaming services. Mm. Now, if someone had put all of their retirement savings into Blockbuster and Kodak because they were the best companies in those those sectors, then they stood to lose a lot when digital photography came out and when um, streaming services were invented. So instead of being concentrated in those sectors, they could have said, okay, I'm going to take some banking stocks and some mining stocks and some healthcare companies as well as entertainment companies so that if something happens with the mining industry some revolution happens that just changes fundamentally the business model of blockbuster and kodak i don't lose all of my savings yes okay and the easiest way to diversify and a lot of listeners would have heard this term index investing And what index investing is, is it says, let's take an index, for example, the 200 largest companies on the Australian Stock Exchange, and we will invest in a replica of that. So if BHP is the largest company on the Australian 200 list, Mm. the largest portion of my 10th thousand dollars that i'm going to invest is going to be in bhp and then second was commonwealth bank and then csl um another big company on the australian stock exchange and you get spread across large companies at number one through to much smaller companies at number 200 because those large companies are what are referred to as blue chip companies it's very unlikely that they're going to go anywhere because our economy depends upon them and people interact with them every day in meaningful ways. And so they're really safe companies down to something like Afterpay, for instance, started out at some point on the 200th biggest company on the Australian Stock Exchange, and then it grew rapidly to be one of the largest. Um, But its share price was much more volatile, meaning it went up and down in extreme ways, more than the banks or the mining companies ever would. And so you're spreading your risk across different sized companies and different industries, entertainment, healthcare, mining, banks, all the different companies that you and I interact with or see advertised every day. So you're spreading across size or what they call market cap, the value of the company, industry. Um, You're diversifying across different leaders because a leader obviously has a massive influence on a business. Yes. And if you're putting all of your money on one executive accomplishing their their objectives for the company, then that's a concentration of risk. So you can mitigate the risks with investing by diversifying and across all those different um, classes. The other way you can diversify is to say, I'm going to have some invested in property, some invested in Australian shares, some invested in international shares. That's another way to diversify is um, across countries. So that if something terrible happens here in Australia, 
that doesn't affect other parts of the world, um, well, our shares in the companies over there are not going to be affected the same way as the Australian part of your portfolio. So there's infinite ways almost to diversify and it's certainly sensible to do. Um, and then there's other ways like buying value companies um, versus buying growth companies. So growth companies are more likely to be volatile, like I said, go up and down in price. Whereas value companies are going to pay a more regular dividend or an, an income. Um, think of that like a tenant in a property paying rent. And you diversify across all these sectors and different metrics and you end up with a portfolio that has a much more relaxing journey, less turbulence okay. in it. So Sam, I want to invest. How do I start? Should I start just by buying shares by myself? Um, what do I do? What are the, let's say, three steps that you would recommend? Hmm. I think look inward and say, am I a DIY person? Do I really mm -hmm. have an interest in this? And do I want to dedicate the time to educating myself well enough to do it myself? And if you are, then there are some great courses out there. Um, one that I know of is called Skilled Smart. Um, takes you through a, a workshop on investing and um, other areas of personal finance. Another great service that I know of is the Motley Fool, which is a um, share advisory subscription letter. And by reading their content, once you pay for a subscription, you read the way that they think about companies and you start to learn how to think about companies and they give you a recommendation and they tell you why they're recommending it and what would cause them to sell that company. They have an exit strategy to say, if the company does X, Y, and Z, our opinion would change and we would get out. Um, Very interesting. Start to invest in your education if you're a DIY type person and if you're not, then start to find a professional that can guide you through that process as involved as you want to be. So start with education and then start with investing. Um, if you're a DIY person, some of the great uh, things out there are these micro investing apps on your phone where you can invest as little as $10, $5. And what that will do is as soon as you've got money in the markets or you've got skin in the game, as we say, you'll start to pay more attention and learn and retain more when you hear the financial news on the TV or when you read it in the paper, you'll start to recognize some of the terms and just increase your vocabulary and your ability to understand and interact with your investments. Um, another thing people can do is just look at their superannuation fund. You're already invested, um, most likely. And so just start to read the information that comes out of the super fund. Um, just that you touched in uh, superannuation funds, this is something that everybody has. How do I get it right? Is there anything that I need to do or the super fund that my company set me up when I started is just fine? There's just no difference between super funds and super funds. Um, what, do you, what do you reckon about that, Sam? What's your advice here well or 
general education. Yeah. So the the things to look principles. for um, is first of all, make sure you don't have a collection. There's no point having a collection of super funds. Okay. Um, because you're doubling up on fees and costs. Mm, okay. And so don't rush out and bring them all into the one that sounds the best or the one that has successfully got your email address correct and sends you actual information so it's front of mind. Be careful if you consolidate super funds uh, because you might lose some valuable life insurances in the process. So you need to understand what's there before you go making big changes. But um, find a super fund that um, has low administrative costs and a selection of investment options that is large enough to do what you want to do. So an example of that, um, the rise of um, responsible investing, especially amongst younger people, is massive. People care about these things now. They're paying attention to these things. And some of the super funds don't give you a huge amount of options for responsible investing. So that might be something that you put on your shopping list for a super fund that suits you. Okay. All good tips. And um, what about real real estate? Um, is this something that I should prioritize buying a house or would it be better for me to just continue renting Look, and that, invest the, the balance out in the financial a, markets? I think another episode to talk about buying a house and the role of housing in wealth creation. Okay, but in the big picture, is it big, still should be a priority for me? I believe so, yes. Yeah, because okay. as soon as you get rid of your home loan, um, or as soon as you move from rent into a mortgage situation, um, then you're paying off an asset and that asset is growing for you at the same time. And as soon as you pay off that home loan, statistically about 25 to 30% of your living expenses are going to evaporate. Wow. And so that wow. means you've got 25, 30% that you can put towards smile or splurge or, you know, um, giving. put towards your retirement, yep. put towards giving to things that you're passionate about. So, yeah, definitely housing is one of the cornerstones of wealth creation. Okay. But you can also invest in property through your super fund, for instance. A lot of super funds have investment options that are retail property or commercial property, not so much residential property but you can become a property investor with just a little bit of money through your super fund sometimes. By buying an actual house through my super fund or no, by... by choosing a fund that invests some of your money into Real properties estate. with a bunch of other people that are mm, doing it. And very that's interesting. Where... Okay. Very well then. This is investing versus gambling. Thank you so much, Sam, for sharing your expertise in this introduction. Yeah, there's a lot. We're going to come back up. to this topic, aren't we? In the future, we need to talk more about, as you mentioned, how to buy your first home or how to have a cracker of a superannuation fund and also how to invest in the share markets. But this is going to be topics for another podcast. I think if people can go away from today understanding the difference between speculating, gambling, and true investing, 
and then also understand that there is a method or there should be a method and a philosophy behind how you invest so that when the turbulence comes, you can revisit that and say, no, I expected this, I understood this was going to be part of my flight and I still like the destination and I'm going to stay on the flight. Wonderful. Sam, thank you very much. Thank you. And to our listeners, thank no, you for listening. Helpful. Hope that it has been helpful, as Sam said. And we catch up with you in our next episode where we will be talking about how to do a lot with just a little knowledge. That's all for this episode of Two Cents Podcast, hosted by Joseph Skeff and Sam Bonello. We hope you have found our insights and tips helpful in your financial journey. Remember, even small steps can lead to big results when it comes to money management. Join us next time for more practical advice on achieving financial peace. Thanks for listening to Two Cents Podcast. Two Cents Podcast.